We're in Romans chapter 12 this morning. I was thinking last night, I was trying to remember how long we've been in this particular chapter, and I couldn't remember. And uh, Two weeks, you said? Two days. Too long. Romans chapter 13. Actually, I wish we were in Romans chapter 13 this morning. This is, again, this is where get the, the level of difficulty, I think, rises at the end of this chapter. And I, like I said, I'd rather skip it or show a movie. Um, but because I think it's very confrontational. Um, but I think we need these, these times of confrontation and to really allow the Lord to use his word to speak to our hearts and to really for us to take stock of who we are in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, we're, we're all far from perfect, except for, well, except for a few of us. But uh, we're all far from perfect, and yet part of the, the Christian life is really this idea of sanctification, this idea of growing, this idea of becoming conformed more into the image of Jesus Christ, which um, sometimes is very easy, but often is very difficult because it's, it's this idea of denying yourself and um, put, mortifying the deeds of the flesh. That's the old King James that Paul said earlier in the book of Romans, but putting to death the, the deeds and the desires even of our fleshly, our worldly nature. Uh, which we all battle. Um, I, I think, I, you know, I'm thinking about the, and this is Lent, and I, we don't really observe Lent, although on a personal level I do. Uh, and Lent is really all about the 40 days in the wilderness. And it's about the 40 days of the wilderness, and then it culminated in the temptation that we read about in the Gospels, where Jesus w- was tempted. He was tempted with physical hunger, he was tempted with, uh, with worldly fame, and he was also tempted with the supernatural spiritual experience. So it's like on every corner, if you will, or every front that we encounter as people, we really do encounter the spiritual warfare and, and, and really much to think about in those three temptations um, and, and how uh, Jesus defeated Satan, and at the, at the end of the temptation, it says that the devil left him and, and decided to uh, left him and decided to come back for a more opportune time, which I think refers to the cross. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get too involved in that this morning, but but n- nonetheless, when we read some of this passage, I think it really to me it really cut to my heart, and it really caused me to to ask me. Um, and ask the Lord, where am I at my walk with you? And we looked at part of this last week where it says, be of the same mind toward one another. I'm reading out of verse 16, out of New American Standard 2020 this morning. It says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty or do not be proud in mind, but associate with the lowly and do not be wise in your own estimation. And, and he says these things on the heels of 
talking about our spiritual gifts that we have been given. Prior to that, of course, he tells us that that he's actually begging us that uh, by the mercies of God that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable form of service or worship, and not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may be able to prove that uh, which is the good and acceptable will and perfect will of God. And so uh, there's, a, there's a flow here. Uh, this idea of presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, being renewed with our minds, being able to discern the perfect, acceptable will of God, uh, and, and, and then recognizing and realizing the spiritual gifts that we've been given, and then to do so and to operate in those gifts and to serve others in those gifts well when we are in a context of being of, of the same mind toward one another, not being proud associating with the lowly, and do not be wise in your own estimation. And then it goes on and it tells us to never repay evil for evil to anyone. Never repay evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will uh, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we look at your word, and, and Lord, that you would help us all to, to really zero in on and focus on those things here in this passage that you desire for us to hear. So Lord, I'd ask that you would fill us with your spirit that we might receive from you. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit that you might speak through me. And Lord, help me to, uh, again, to zero in on those things that, that we need to pay attention to this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I said, as, as I read this to you, I, I was struck again of the level of difficulty rising in this passage and how, how difficult it is to read these things to, to hear these things and then to compare our own lives with these things. Because what this does, and I, I just felt like I couldn't avoid it. Um, gosh, I was, I'm, I'm really wanting to water this down this morning. It really takes us out of that self-protection mode that each of us are prone to. That each, that, which really is our natural response when we encounter a difficult situation. This is actually very similar to what Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter, 40, or chapter 5, verse 44 through 48, in part of the Sermon on the Mount. I won't take the time to, to turn and look at that this morning. I will throw that out there for you to look at later. But... The task is, and this is where there's, this is kind of a, 
we got to hold this in context. I'm not trying to water this down, okay? I'm really not. But I also don't want to, I don't want to overemphasize this either. Does that make sense? Because I, I think our task is to not necessarily to protect ourselves, but to be obedient to what the Lord is telling us here and then to leave the results for him. I've heard this taught and taught and taught and taught and taught for years. And often it's presented in such a way that you could walk away from the teaching where it would say, it, you would get the impression that, that we're being called to be doormats. And I, I've kind of touched on that a little bit earlier in, in some of this uh, some of these passages in the book of Romans, that, that we're, we're really called just to, to abandon uh, any form of self-defense. And, and boy, I, I'm, they're, they're ringing in my ears as I'm thinking about this, that if you, don't, if you, do, if you try to protect yourself, then God will, will not protect you. If you try to protect yourself, God will not protect you. Now, was that true? Okay, I'm speaking to reasonable people this morning. I don't think that's true either, but it's presented this way. I bet you could, sooner or later, you'll, if you listen to Christian radio, and I stopped doing that, I gave it up for Lent, but anyway, um, I'll, you'll hear this on the radio. Now, we have to hear what this is telling us. When it says, don't repay evil for evil to anyone. And respect what is right in the sight of all people. We have, we have to hear that. But we have to hear it in balance. Without taking the time to turn there, I went back and I read through the book of Acts. And, and, and I read the account of Paul, particularly in the latter chapters. I want to say around chapter 25. Um, where he uh, is on trial because of the riot that was caused in Jerusalem when he tried to preach the gospel to the Jews, and, and they just went nuts. And, and so the Romans thought he was a troublemaker, and he was, he was put on trial. And in the trial, do you remember one of the things he did when he stood before a guy named Festus? Festus wanted to send him back to Jerusalem to be tried by the Jews based on their own law. And Paul knew that that would not turn out real well for him. So he did what? You guys remember? He appeals to Caesar. He appeals to Caesar and, and, and then ends up before King Agrippa. And Agrippa said to him, I, I haven't found anything wrong with what you're doing, and you would have been set free had you not appealed to Caesar. But earlier in the book of Acts, God told him that you would, in fact, go and you would be able to proclaim the gospel uh, in Rome. So he kind of got a free ride to Rome, if you will, but the, the journey to Rome was filled with a, with a lot of difficulty. And even in that journey, with, um, again, I'm trying to sum this up really fast just to make the brief point. Even in that journey, Paul took the initiative he just didn't say, well, it must be the will of the Lord that we're going to sink because they were in a very bad storm, if you remember. They had to throw all the cargo overboard. Um, they started throwing some of the, the uh, ship's 
uh, riggings overboard to try to lessen the weight. The sailors tried to escape, and they wanted to go overboard, but they were going to, of course, do it in a boat. So, and, and Paul told the Roman centurion, if these guys leave the ship, we can't be saved. So Paul took initiative. Paul defended himself when he needed to. And, and I started going to this particular passage. And, of course, in reading it, then I had kind of wished later on that I had gone to maybe an imprecatory psalm where it talks about God break their teeth, which is biblical. I mean, again, we've got to hold these things in balance. And, and when we look at these difficult situations with difficult people, and, of course, we're not difficult, are we? We have to turn to the voice of the Holy Spirit to be yielded to him, to be submitted to him. Because I have had several times in my life where I have prayed to God, God, I don't mind you doing a work in my life. I just wish you would pick someone else to be the sandpaper than this idiot that I'm dealing with right now. But God uses what he uses. And, 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 and I call it the economy of God. He works so efficiently in, in the situations and the people and the circumstances that we encounter. And he uses these things uh, the scripture tells us in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But, but that, that all things, the finished product of the all things can be very difficult and can be very trying. And, 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 and there have been times where I really felt like I was being treated by Christian brothers and a few times by Christian sisters, not here, of course, where I, wanted, I felt like I was being treated evilly. And, you know, there's nothing like fighting fire with fire, isn't there? I used to have a friend of mine who I met at church, by the way. I used to, years ago, years ago, teenager, and he, his saying was, I don't get even, I get one up. He hadn't spent a whole lot of time reading the Bible, and it was anyway. But, but our natural reaction is when someone's being evil to me, I want to be evil to them. And I want to do it with equal and opposite. Actually, I don't want to do it with equal and opposite force. I want to get a little bit stronger in the pushback. And... And, and we're called, New King James says, no, uh, repay no one evil for evil. Which I thought was interesting, the way the New King James words this, because this word that's translated repay in the New King James, it means to give or to do something to someone. To give to them or to do something to them uh, as a fulfillment of an obligation. So really, see how, the, how interesting the, the Holy Spirit leads Paul to write and use these particular words. In other words, 
This word that's translated repaying, it really means you doing something to someone else because you are obligated to them. You made me mad, but I'll make you mad. You offended my pride, I'm going to offend yours. You know, I, and, and we, 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 our, our pride gets offended and we feel obligated to ourselves to push back. And the Lord is telling us here that, that we're, we're not to do that. We're not to repay evil for evil. Rather, it says, have regard in the New King James says, have regard for good. Have regard for good things. That, that, I thought that's almost kind of a strange phrase because we don't really use that much anymore. In, in the, uh, the New American Standard, it says, respect what is right in the sight of all people. Respect what is right or have regard for good things in the sight of all people. Notice that it's in the sight of all people. See, that can be very challenging to us. Because maybe we're not going to actually repay evil for evil. But we get in these conversations about people, places, and things. And we say, well, you know what? I don't like that about them or this or that. And, 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 and we verbalize. We, we, it's like we throw this particular passage out the window when we start verbalizing. And, we, and, 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 and you know, I, I understand that, that, that at times we have to lament. I understand that. It's a biblical process. It's all over the Psalms. And, and expressing your complaint to God. But we have to be careful with that, I believe, because it can turn malicious. It can turn malicious. And so in our laments, we have to, we have to, we have, there, we have to check that. We have to check that. And, and it says here, have regard for good things. That is to give careful thought to. I don't think that we have ever been in a time in my life anyway on a grand scale like what we have gone through over the past two years or even longer. But particularly with the pandemic, I, there have been times I think I've had to really force myself to give careful thought to things. Because you can only lament so, so long. I think there's a place for lamenting. But I think you can only do it so long. And to give careful thought for something, uh, to take something into consideration, that is to have regard for it. To recognize the positive attributes of the good things. 
And, and this, this, this word good things, it, it talks about things that are on a high level. I'll date myself. Things that are on a high level. Do you want a Cadillac or do you want a Volkswagen Beetle? I'm sorry if you drove a Volkswagen Beetle. Um, I'll change it. Do you want a scooter or do you want a nice new, brand new Harley Davidson? Okay, some of you really get that. Some of you are like, well, he's talking about motorcycles again. Anyway, things that are at a high level. And have regard for those things. And I think that really pertains, I'm, I'm giving you a physical analogy, I think what it really pertains, though, is, is to things in our spiritual life. Now, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ for the works that we have done. Have you ever thought about what kind of grade that you're going to get from the Lord? Oh, the looks on some of your faces. Um, have you ever thought about that? Do you have high regard for good things, for the high things in your spiritual life? I, I think that's a real, a real tough but an interesting and an important question that we need to ask ourselves every day. And it's really hard, I think. To me, it's really difficult, particularly when you get into the heats or the heat of the moment. When you come across that difficult person, situation, or thing. And what I have found is that in my own life, if I place careful thought to the good spiritual things in my life, and, and, and I focus on the things that are godly. When I'm getting squeezed, when I'm in the heat of the moment, maybe Mike won't come out quite so much. Maybe not. So you don't repay evil for evil, but have regard for good things. In other words, it's really this goes close to what Paul said to the Philippians about setting your mind on things above. And actually, in Philippians 4.8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. It's Mary's favorite verse. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So here you have in the scripture uh, the admonishment to meditate. Think on these things. Dwell on these things. Take time to take them in. Recognize the incredible blessing that God has bestowed on each and every one of our lives. 
in spite of the fact that probably not any of us in this room are not encountering some kind of difficulty and issue right now. Probably every single one of us. But regardless of that, to recognize the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. Anything of virtue, anything that is praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Philippians 4.8. And then it tells us, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So, am I going to be a hearer of the word only? Book of James talks about this. Or I'm going to be a doer. It's, it, sometimes I think it's hard enough to hear these things, but for goodness sake, to go out and do them? See why prayer is so important? Because I really think the Holy Spirit led me to do this act of restoration in the way that he wanted me to do it, but also to, have, to continue to have the heart of God when I did it. Rather than, all right, you're being a jerk like you always are, see it, you know. Because I had tried to keep some good things before me and regarding them and considering them and, and whatever was a virtue, uh, whatever was praiseworthy to meditate on these things, which is so, so the opposite of what our world culture tells us to do. It really is. Verse 19 is really a full verse. It says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Which I actually kind of like that idea, but uh, there's some different views on that. Beloved, do not, or beloved, the old King James is still there in me. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. This word avenge means to inflict the appropriate penalty for what is wrong. Or for a wrong that is done. Excuse me. To be able to afflict the appropriate penalty for a wrong that is done. Now, this is really significant, particularly Paul is writing in what's called an honor-shame society. And it was in that culture's thinking of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And if you do this to me, then I have the right to do this to you. We've never really left that, have we? At least in, 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 in secular culture. And 
we're told not to avenge, but to give place for wrath. And boy, this is where I need to really be careful. That is, this word give means to put something into the trust or care of another. So you give place for God's wrath. You give place for God to do the work. Remember the passage out of Proverbs that I read to you last week where it says that, that if, if God punished your enemy and he sees that you're glad, he'll stop doing it? And I thought about that all week, and it was like, I'm, I'm, I thought about those times where I'm like, God, I'm not happy. You know, I'm, I'm not happy, God, you know, and, and, and just having to fight that. But this idea of giving place for wrath. This quote here in, in verse 20 is out of Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now, again, is this a calling to a passive submission where we can't defend ourselves? And if that is the case, then how would we square this with Matthew chapter 18 where it talks about if a brother sins? Some of the Greek translations have if a brother sins against you. Some of them simply say if a brother sins, you're to go to that brother and and you're um, you're to... Correct him, and, and essentially you, you, you reconcile. And if he doesn't hear you, then you bring two or three witnesses so that every word is established. And if that doesn't work, then you tell it to the church. And if he still doesn't repent, then he's basically he's, he's, uh, excommunicated. Treated like a tax collector or a Gentile. In other words, an outsider. Matthew 18 is really sticky. Um, That's really, really, again, it's, it's not quite giving room for wrath because you are taking action. So in these situations, you have to discern, again, through prayer, do I, am I passive? Do I allow God to take care of it? Or am I obligated based on what other passages of Scripture say, and should I get involved? Now, I think in some cases, Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew to not cast your pearls before swine. And I think, I, I, I think that's important to recognize. Don't cast your pearls. You had that look. Don't cast your pearls before swine. In other words, if someone's not going to appreciate that, that, this, this, that what you are to do for them, and, and they want to treat it uh, like an unclean animal, Remember, think this in Jewish context. Then don't bother. I, I walked through a guy uh, with a math, through a Matthew 18 process. This is years ago. Um, it wasn't him towards me or me towards him, but him toward another brother who went to another church. It made it real sticky. And, and I shared with him what the Scripture said, and he wanted to move forward, so we moved forward. Didn't, didn't really... We ended up meeting with the elders of another church here in town. didn't really turn out great. But nonetheless, I think 
he was trying to be faithful and, and do what the Scripture told him. All he was really looking for was a simple apology, actually. Um, but sometimes we stay out of God's way so that God can work. Now, can God work if you are active and involved in it? Can God only work if you step out of the way and get out of his... Is that how it works? No. We just have to discern when we're to move forward and when we're to step back. Does that make sense? It says here that God will repay. It's a future tense, by the way, a verb in in the Greek. And... We see here that as we make room, as we allow God's wrath, uh, God says, vengeance of mine, he will repay. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that if you step back, God's going to zap them. I know that sometimes if you step back, you're cheering God on to zap them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's always going to be the case because the Scripture tells us in the book of Romans even that it is what? It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And it's scary to me to think about people who, who resist God's grace. So he says to the, he, he tells us here, um, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, what does that mean? I can have a hard time getting past if he's hungry, feed him part. But that's exactly what this is saying here. This is out of Proverbs chapter 25. You return good for evil in the name of the Lord. That's what he's, that's what he, what he's saying here. Now, this idea about coals, when you put heap coals on their head, There's some different thoughts here. You've heard them, okay. There's this one thought of, well, you would think that heaping coals on someone's head is a way of bringing down some type of judgment or some type of judgment on them. But in reality, if your fire goes out, your neighbor has a fire, and you go next door and you get some coals from your neighbor's fire, and you put it in this thing and you stick it on your head to carry it home. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Sounds so Christian. There isn't any extant truth that that even existed. In other words, some kind of weird brass metal thing that you wear on your head to carry coals. It is what I call an urban myth. I've heard it on the radio, by the way. Perhaps you have too, okay? 
What are coals often a symbol of in the Bible? Judgment. Fire and brimstone. It's consistent throughout both testaments. And I I think when this is telling us here uh, that in doing so you will be heaping burning coals on his head, I think that's exactly what it's saying. Incidentally, the Greek word for fun, this is for fun, the Greek word here is the word anthrax. Got your attention. It's the only time it's used in the Bible. It's a very ancient Greek word. But this could be a reference to a proverb type of saying that the Arabs were were really big on as far as this idea of, of burning coals to the heart or even fire to the liver. It was, it was an expression that they used. And I think that the, the, the thinking here, matter of fact, before I jump into that, we see this in the book of Ezekiel chapter 10. I won't take the time to look there, but they take the coals there, this man is told to take the coals from the altar of God and to scatter them throughout the city of Jerusalem in judgment. It's interesting because the same altar that produced the same coals was also used to purify the lips of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Scripture tells us too that God is what? A consuming fire. Revelation depicts Jesus in his glorified state with with eyes like fire. And I think what this is telling us that when we feed someone who is hungry, an enemy who is hungry, and when they are thirsty that we give them something to drink, this idea of heaping burning coals on their head is that God uses your goodness to speak to their hardness of heart. God uses your goodness, your obedience to him to speak to their hardness of heart. And it is a means by which they start to see the error of their own ways. I think that's what this is really talking about, this idea of putting coals on your head and going back to your house and starting a fire. Well, that's what you want to believe. As I love to say, your mileage may vary. But I'm not buying it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Think of your personal conflicts that you've had for years, over the years, hopefully not had for years, but anyway. How successful have you been in correcting that person? Now, some of you, I've read your mail because you've shared with me these situations. How successful have you been in correcting those people that, quite frankly, need correction but cannot receive it from you? Let's all have a good laugh. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so you can either be some form of an authoritarian to them because we know the Bible and we have the scriptures and it says right here and you should do this. And, I'll, you know, e- even in, in my counseling ministry, I, you know, 
until someone's really ready to change, they won't. They won't. But if we attempt to repay evil with good, I think that becomes the capital that the Holy Spirit is able to use in their lives to call them to repentance. Because again, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Amen.